Welcome to the Rome International Film Festival podcast. Let's hear from the crowd again. <laughs> hey, welcome to the show. This is the Rome International Film Festival podcast, and we are brought to you by Manco Logistics, a Rome, Georgia business. We broadcast from the Hardy Realty Studios on Broad Street in downtown Rome, Georgia, and we work in cooperation with the Rome News Tribune. I am Roger Manus with Rome Business Radio, joined as always by Seth Ingram with Riff. Hi, Seth. How are you? Doing great. You have bought, brought some of your uh, your entourage with you. Uh, uh, who you got with you here? Got, well, as always, my uh, my partner in crime, uh, co-creative at, at Riff, uh, the great Michael Dunaway is on the phone. Hi, Michael. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, our associate producer of Riff, uh, Katie Weatherford, is with us. Hi, Katie. Hello, hello, hello. And also, we are have a very special guest today. We have the director... Rome native, and uh, of our opening night film, her name was Hester, and we're excited to talk about that today, Mr. Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How do you all? <laughs> Need you to lean a little closer to your microphone there, Brian. You got it. You know how audio works. You're a director, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so can I just ask, tell us what the film's about? Yeah. <laughs> Brian, you want to just give us a, a little uh, a pitch there? Yeah, I can definitely do that. So... This film is actually quite heavy, and it has some serious revelations about our Northwest Georgia region and uh, African-American history. Um, it started off as a film about a woman moving back to her family farm, a white woman named Stacy Marshall. Uh, I actually am good friends with Stacy. We lived on the Berry College campus together, and I heard that she was moving back to her family farm in Chattooga County. And... I envisioned it as a feminist piece, to be honest. I saw her moving back and battling a little bit of patriarchy up there, the the good old boy club, all the farmers up there. And as I followed that story, it turned out that she had to wrestle with some demons, the fact that her family had owned enslaved human beings on that farm. And they had a family story about a wet nurse named Hester who stayed with the family and was buried with them. Um, after slavery. And so as she wrestled with that, she started engaging in conversations with her black neighbors, good friends of hers, counselors over the years, religious advisors. And we realized that there was a connection between her and some of her neighbors that she and they did not realize previously. And so that was uncovered in the process of filming her interactions with her black neighbors up there and her coming back to the farm and getting back into the the dirt town Valley community up there in Chattooga County. Yeah. And the, uh, the New York was the New York times that picked up the front page of this story when that happened. Yeah. So throughout the process, um, Stacy and I were filming and documenting the process and she, I encouraged her to go to a Georgia organics conference, a farm, Georgia organics farm organization that provides grants and support and counsel to farmers around the state of Georgia. And when she went down there, she stepped into a, talk on um, black farming and how to support black farming. And this famous chef and farmer named Matthew Rayford was leading that discussion. And she and Kim Severson, the New York Times reporter, were the only white folks sitting in the audience. And during a Q&A after that discussion, Stacy stood up and made the, the difficult announcement that her family had held enslaved human beings on their farm. And she wanted to try to 
uh, amend that with her community. She wanted to engage in some form of reparations or reconciliation. And as we show in the the film, the response from those black farmers in that meeting, um, it was profound. They all kind of gasped at the fact that she was willing to share that with the audience. So Kim Severson, the New York Times reporter, was in the audience and followed up with Stacy. And we so we simultaneously tell Stacy's story and the story of Kim following the story that eventually becomes the front cover story on the July fourth, twenty twenty one New York Times. Wow, yeah. <laughs> powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, so we, you know, we're excited. This is the world premiere. Um, yep, international premiere here at Riff. Okay, it's interesting to me. So it's it's a doc. It is a doc. So yes. you you had a vision of what you thought it was going to be. But you're having to change gears as director as it's unfolding in front of you. So talk about that process. That's how it goes. I do more ethnographic documentary film. I'm actually an anthropologist, professor at Barry College of Environmental Science and Studies and Anthropology. So when I do documentary films, I'm really doing it for posterity. I'm just really documenting things that I think are important, the stories that aren't going to be told otherwise. And so I just follow stories that seem important, and I integrate students into the filming process and teach them along the way. Teach them about human society, about farming, uh, but also about how to document stories. And so that was what we were doing. We were really doing a short um, on gender um, with students. And then the story became more profound and important. And I started dedicating more and more resources and attention to that story as it unfolded. So, yeah, yeah, it changed a lot. It beca- it was started off as, you know, short that maybe would make it in riff as a student short. And then it became a bigger story that I really wanted to pursue. So then, you know, it, it was a five-year process un- uncovering that story. So this uh – and it's funny, Stacy. We've known Stacy for years, and she's been a volunteer at Riff for years. So to have a film about Stacy's experience is, is very unique. Uh, to go from volunteer to opening night film, and Stacy would be here if she was traveling today, uh, but she'll be here with us at Riff. Uh, so this film, uh, I just want to publicize it real quick. It's going to be uh, November the tenth at the DeSoto Theater at seven p.m. We're going to have a, a short talk back after it with uh, Brian, Jeff Walsh, Stacy. Kim, some of the filmmakers, uh, other other people involved in the film, but then we're going to have this is a this film is also a part of our uh, diversity and inclusion uh, that we're doing with Rift this year, and we have a couple of films. Uh, we have another film called Unspoken that we're going to play that following Saturday morning, and we're going to have a talk a, a bigger discussion, a community diversity and inclusion discussion at uh, I don't know the exact time yet, but I'll, I, it'll be Saturday morning. So that will be an open dialogue for a further conversation. And we're excited to have the Mosley family who is featured in the film is going to be with us and at the after party. And I've known some of the Mosleys for a long time. Uh, so it's great to, on these opening night films, we like to do a lot of community focused stuff. Um, so we're, we think this is going to be a big hit with, with the community. How do you choose your opening night films at Riff? Um, you know, that's, I don't know that there's a right answer to that because it, it just depends on what's submitted to us and what's available. Should, I, should, should we ask Michael? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's I, co- can, I can give a little bit of yeah. I can give a little bit of color to that. Like it's exactly like Seth says. There's no there's no one big answer. Um, we obviously we want to search for something that is going to make a big impact on the community because the uh, opening night film is uh, probably our best attended film uh, or slot best attended slot you know that saturday night slot gets a lot too but 
you know, everybody wants to come out for opening night. And so it, it could be, can y'all hear me? Okay. By the way. Yeah. Okay. It, it could be a variety of things. It could be, I mean, the ideal is something like this, honestly, that's homegrown. That's really fascinating. It's a world premiere that just ticks so many boxes. Otherwise we might look for, um, we might look for a film that was an award winner at Sundance or at South by Southwest or at Cannes. We might look at a film that we can get um, uh, a celebrity in for to make an appearance. Um, just something that's going to make it feel special and feel like a moment and not feel like just another film in the program. Uh, and certainly her name was Hester, like I say, checks several of those boxes and it, it's just a perfect, a perfect selection for opening night. Yeah, and then following that, for our VIPs at the party, we're going to have a, uh, here in this building, we're going to have a uh, a reception, our opening night reception, and the I think the Mosley family is going to do some performances for us there as well, um, and that's going to be a fun event at uh, Fifth on Broad here in Hardy Realty. Thank you for hooking us up with that. Oh, good, yeah, because we broadcast from the Hardy Realty Studios on Broad Street, um, and we're sponsored by Manco Logistics. Did I mention that earlier? Um, so I, I'm curious about, you're an anthropologist but uh, and a director on the side, or are you a director who's an anthropologist on the side? <laughs> I'm, I'm an anthropologist who's a director on the side. And I, ha- how did I, that happen? Oh, goodness. I've always been fascinated and involved in film because it's – gives a, a lens into culture. It gives access to these stories and cultures and brings them alive. So I've always wanted to use film in my teaching. So I pursued a PhD in agricultural and environmental anthropology at university of Georgia. Go dogs. Yeah. Go dogs. And, um, so I, I've taught in different states and I ended up with an opportunity to start an environmental studies program at Barry college. And I showed up here and I had already made three documentaries at that point And that began because I was so interested in film and I knew the power of film and I knew the, um, frankly, the impotence of academic publications on affecting the general public. And so I started pursuing film more than writing academic publications once I knew I could get tenure because tenure is, well, you've got to get tenure first. And that means you've got to write those publications. Um, but once I was confident with that, I started pursuing film more because of its ability to document things for posterity and to engage the general public in tough discussions about things that otherwise are not treated in mainstream media. So I actually had a student who was a film major who pursued me to make a documentary about a, an agricultural project that I ran. And I ended up kind of behind the scenes with him. I, I would produ- I produced the film, set up the interviews, and set up all the logistics for filming. But then I loved being behind the computers with him doing the editing and learning that process. That was 15 years ago. And so then I, I just continued. I continued documenting important stories and um, learning more of the craft. I usually am more of the storyteller, the researcher, and the writer. Uh, but then I kind of had to develop some other skill sets. And so I started envisioning how to set up the shots better and, and being on site. And so I've, I've kind of moved into the position more of a director and producer. Well, yeah. Um, and this is not your first film that's played at Riff either. No, no. And that's why the international premiere is here. Riff has been very supportive of my work. I've shown three films at Riff previously and I felt like this was a homegrown community project that needed to have its premiere here. It needed to, you know, have that ability to share and celebrate this story with our community from the get go. So 
it, it will be showing in Washington, D.C. the week after Riff. Um, but I, I delayed all other film festivals until we showed it at Riff to share it with the community. Okay, so I'm I'm a novice here to the industry. Everybody else here is an expert. So that that's your goal: get it get it at as many film festivals as, as possible. World premiere here, but in order to get the film out, how do you do that? Like film festival by film festival, word of mouth. Um, so f- I'm not trying to get it in as many film festivals as possible. It's more strategic. Okay, I, I mean I would like to get it into some of the bigger documentary film festivals and um, get some attention to it. Frankly, again, this is a community project. I'm yeah. not looking for accolades or, you know, to make a big deal about it. The film is quite good. Jeff Walsh, our editor, is spectacular. He's worked with Brand Red Studios here, and that's who put us together. I talked to Ryan Simmons from Brand Red, and he put us together. Um, but from here, we'll get it in strategic film festivals. So I've uh, submitted to several documentary film festivals. And the Atlanta Film Festival does not like to not be a premiere, you know. And I said, well, sorry, Rome's got the premiere. You know, Rome International Film Festival yeah. is the international <laughs> premiere. Um, but, yeah, so it'll go into some strategic film festivals, and then we'll see what we do with it from there. But we want to get the general public to be able to engage with this film. It tells a really important story for what's going on in our society today, and it's all about reconciliation and restorative justice. And, again, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the rookie here who doesn't know. How, how are you funded? How did the what, how do you how do you pay for the cameras and yeah. the editing and the so as a faculty member of Barry College this is part of my research you know so a lot of the equipment I'm able to use funding from my budget at the university but then I get grants so we do faculty development grants and then I got a Georgia Humanities grant and I it, it's very important that I recognize them for their support of this project Georgia Humanities provided us with a grant that allowed us to continue and, and complete the film to for, to pay our editor jeff walsh who's done a great job and from your perspective seth docs uh what, what's the you know regular Narr- narrative you know do you does the film festival cater to all types we do and it's yeah. from year to year it's, it's it's very different michael can speak to this as well but this year we are very doc heavy i think we're we have twice the amount of docs as we have in the in the feature category as to the narratives but it's not always that way i think last year was very narrative heavy so it's just you know it just depends on what's out there and what's available and uh uh, what we select and who we can bring to the festival and what it brings to the community is all it's a whole uh, puzzle to put together you got any thoughts on that mike michael are you out there yeah i'm here <laughs> yeah it's 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 weird it's you know I've, I've been doing festivals a long time i know seth has as well and um you you kind of have to um uh you know when when uh there's a <laughs> uh I was friends with the late great Peter Bogdanovich, and he used to talk about um, he used to talk about how you know you could you could plan and you could dream up a movie, but at some point you had to just listen to the movie telling you what it wanted to be, you know, uh, when you were on set. And uh, I kind of feel that way about a festival. You know, there's there, there, it, it, it's much more art than science, and there's just some years that, uh, like Seth says, you you get you, fi- you find more great docs, or there are more great docs that are available to you, or uh, you know what whatever it is. Uh, but the goal is always to have you know the best the best overall program that we can, and uh, we kind of trust our audiences to kind of go with the flow. And if we have 
more docs one year and more narratives the next, more international one year, more domestic the next, What whatever it is. We just want to find the best films to share with the community. Yeah, how do y'all, we, we mentioned how you maybe select the opening night one, but just all of the films that are in the festival, what's the process for that? How do y'all? Well, yeah. we're open to submissions and we get, you know, some years we get over a thousand submissions. So it's, we have a team of about 40 people that just screen all the films and we, you know, the cream kind of rises to the top, they get ratings. But if we, we only have room for so many animated shorts, so we may be, there may be a lot of animated shorts that don't get put in because we don't have that room from the program. And that that's, so a lot of times the best, some of the best films don't get selected, not because they're not great films, just because we have to build a program that, that honors the categories that we have available. And we also try to get things that we think we can build an audience around and uh, just be diverse as well. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of mandates on what we do to, to curate it. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's just, just like I said, it's a puzzle every year. It's a puzzle and the putting the schedule together uh, when we're running three screening venues and trying not to compete something up against something else that you think that a different audience would want to see. I mean, that's a no- whole nother puzzle piece to, together. So you don't want to play two documentaries up against each other and you don't want to play. So, well, for instance, we may play a, a, a scary horror film up against a documentary or a, uh, you know, something like that. So we, we just have to be very cognizant of how we, how we fit it all together. And that's what we're in the process of doing right now. I'm trying to get our schedule out by Monday. So, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, how swamped are you guys right now? Uh, you don't want to know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's overwhelming. You know, we also want to try to get something for everybody, yeah. and we don't want to have the schedule skew too much to one audience than another because there are a lot of different audiences, you know. I remember when I made my very first documentary, uh, which was called The Man Who Ate New Orleans, which was uh, more than a food documentary, but I guess you would classify it as a food documentary. And uh, I didn't get into Atlanta Film Festival. And I was like, what the heck? How could I not have gotten into Atlanta Film Festival? Because this was, I thought, a really great documentary. Uh, Well, it turns out, by the time I got them the film, they had already accepted a a pretty big documentary about food. And were planning a big event for it. And they were like, "Eh, you know, it's just like two, two food documentaries in a year seems like a lot, you know? Which, regardless of whether that was the right decision, it just it just does give you an idea that there's a lot more into it than a lot more that goes into it than you know. Here are the top. Here's our list of the top fifty films we've seen, and let's just program one through twenty. You know. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely definitely a puzzle, but uh, we're we're very fortunate that we get a good mix of local films, and sometimes we have to go out of our way to kind of pull something in to curate something to fill a spot. But for the most part, we get a broad selection and being international film festival too. We also try to do a lot of international films, um, which, you know, and we were doing this over a period of three and a half days. So 83 films in three and a half days is, is a lot. Um, but no, um, yeah, but let's get back to, uh, her name was Hester here a little bit too. Um, so when you were, a uh, when you did your test screening, we did a test screening out at the college at Berry College. Uh, have you modified it any since that time? Yeah, that's a good question. So we did a serious um, color correction. We did a lot of audio. We did a master audio, so it's all cleaned up. All the audio is cleaned up. We worked with Austin Earp in Darkroot Studios, and he did a complete master audio for the film, and the, it just the sound pops now. And we also, I, I really need to mention this: our soundtrack is pretty amazing. That's one thing I've gotten really into is when I make documentaries, I try to use all local music. 
And so that's something that I curate. And so this soundtrack has um, local musicians from Chattooga County, and they are these amazing black singers. Janiel and Jackie um, came along late in the process. So we ended up with them in the studio after the test screening. And they blew our, our minds. Their singing is just gorgeous, and it's all gospel, um, traditional gospel. And so they've contributed more to the soundtrack. And we've got Janiel and Jackie. We've got the Mosley family, who are all singers. They some a lot of them have professionally sung in um, in studios in in Christian groups. And then we've got, so they do gospel also. And then we've got the Barbaric Yops on the soundtrack. And they did original tracks for us in Dark Root Studios and Kindred Fire. So the soundtrack is great. And I wanted to mention that in addition to this being a film, it is also a continuing community project. Um, so we now have a nonprofit that has sprung out of it, the Hester's Heritage Foundation. And that is for generating funds to support um, black scholarships and to involve and provide, provide opportunities for black youth to get involved in farming if they're interested. So the soundtrack is now on Bandcamp. It will be released at Riff. I will announce it and it will go live and people can download the soundtrack with as little as a $10 donation. They can download the entire soundtrack and it is quite remarkable. Yeah. So I've worked with Austin before too. Austin, uh, Earp and Dark Root Studios, fantastic musician and half of the band Kindred Fire, mm-hmm. which the other half, Haley Smith, is the diversity and inclusion coordinator at Barry, and she will be hosting our talk back after the film and leading the discussion Saturday morning as well. And she's also featured in the film. Tell, yeah. Talk a little bit about her role. Yeah, that's all completely accurate and it's exciting. So she is now in charge of our diversity and inclusion projects and community outreach at Barry College. She's on the, the right hand of our president, Stephen Briggs, and she and I will be continuing to develop discussion guides and lesson plans associated with the film so that they can be used in perpetuity. The Georgia Humanities Council is very excited about us developing additional resources so that they can be used in schools throughout the state and beyond. So Haley, yes, Haley, she she ended up in the film inadvertently she agreed to allow us to use her song that she had written and kindred fire performs called roots i thought it was a perfectly appropriate song it's very powerful and so we had approached her about that and then serendipitously she ended up being related distantly related and not so distantly related in some cases to some of the people up in Chattooga County. And so that's what I don't want to go into too much detail because it's revealed in the film that she wasn't aware of some of those, those relations. And so that comes out in the film and it came out in the process of us making this documentary and it was very emotional for her. It was, it was difficult for her to wrestle with some of the things she was feeling because of that revelation. Yeah. So the film tackles some, some really tough issues, but we do it in a, I would say creative and entertaining way. Um, and we, we end on a positive note, which is, is hard to do these days with some of these discussions around race relations. And, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Riff has Georgia power as our diversity and inclusion sponsor this year. We're also working with one community United. And, uh, so the, all these events are that we're doing are purposely, you know, built to have a community conversation around. 
And uh, I think it's also important to talk about how Stacy was very cognizant that she did not want this film to be about her. She was scared that she was kind of the the centerpiece uh, of the film, and it revolves around her. But she she really is humble in that way that she doesn't want to be you know seen as the the, the centerpiece. But Stacy's a very good talker. She's a storyteller. She's a professional storyteller. She has a master's in education, so she doesn't shy away from being the center of attention, even though she is humble and, and didn't want it to just be about her. It's about her community. And she demonstrates that in her actions throughout the film. Yeah. And I think she does it. She does a good job. And I think it comes across as, as very humble and very community focused. Yeah. But we're, we are just super thrilled to have this as opening night. And I think it's going to be a, a good event and bring the community together at Rift. That's one of the things we try to do is really, really want to bring the community together. And film has that power I think more unlike a lot of other uh, mediums of art to, to actually reach into different communities. It takes a community to make a film. It takes a community to appreciate a film and the the film comes from a community. And the, when all of that connects, it's, it's, it's great experience for everyone. Um, but yeah, the film is, uh, her name was Hester opening night film at riff November the 10th, 7 PM at the historic DeSoto theater. Um, and you know, tickets are on sale at riffga.com. Our, our full schedule will be out soon, but that film is already live. You can buy a ticket for just $10 or fifth. Is it 10, $10. Yeah, I think it's $10. Uh, and then, uh, about, we will also, all the VIPs, uh, VIPs will seat first and then we'll let general admission in after that. So, uh, get your passes. We prefer you to get all access pass, come to lots of events during the festival. But if you just want to see a single film of any of the, any events, it's only 10 bucks and you can buy them at riffga.com. Well, how was this film compared to uh, your other film making processes when you've done your other docs? How was this one different? Oh gosh, that's a good question. It's very similar. I'm telling you, I approach it anthropologically and I do a lot of community. I establish rapport, which is the basic of, you know, establishing relationships with people in that community and getting them to feel comfortable acting naturally with you. And so I basically become friends with people, um, and comfortable sitting around eating meals with them and them acting normally. And that's why this film, I guess the biggest difference is that we had some serious surprises that kind of blew our minds. That's the thing about this film is it has a serious revelation that is mind boggling. The way the the film is basically um, chronological. And so it's following them through time. We, a lot of my films, I end up putting like the date up there as titles and stuff like that. We didn't do any of that because it is chronological and you are frankly the viewer becomes you know involved with these characters and then they're shocked at this revelation that occurs at the end i'm not going to say what it is obviously we're going to leave that element of surprise but i think that's really what it was is that that's when i realized this could be a big film because it has a serious um you know surprise that you you write in a narrative film but you don't get it in a documentary and we've got it so that's fortuitous. Yeah. It was. It was mind-boggling. And it was. I kept trying to end the film. I kept saying, okay, the film's done. The film is done. And it just, the story kept getting crazier and more interesting and serendipitous. And so I kept following it, and it was worthwhile. Well, you said it took you five years, I guess. But it, what, what is a normal process? Uh, All of my films take years. Yeah. Because I just, just hang out. 
<laughs> document over the time and then figure out what's the story we want to tell with that footage we've acquired over those years. And this one, I guess the biggest difference is this one revealed itself. The, the story revealed itself. It was, I wanted it to be about farming and cause I love farming. I farm and I study farming and I did not get to touch much on farming. Unfortunately, it was a bigger story. Sometimes you're the storyteller. Sometimes the story tells you or unfolds for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And uh, if you want to see it, you got to come to Riff. I look forward to seeing you all at Riff. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. excited and honored to have uh, Brian Campbell with us today. So uh, any last closing remarks, Brian? You want to leave us with a teaser? I think I've already teased you a bit <laughs> on the surprises that are in store at Riff 22. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you all at Riff 22, and you're going to be in for some fun revelations. November 10th, 7 p.m., the DeSoto Theater, downtown Rome. Yep. Be there. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Brian, for being here. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Rome International Film Festival podcast. We broadcast from the Hardy Realty Studios on Broad Street in downtown Rome, Georgia, where you where Riff happens. <laughs> right? Well, how about one more round of applause? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Brian. The Riff Podcast has been brought to you by Manco Logistics, a local corporation and uh, that's in the logistics business. And we work in cooperation with the Rome News Tribune. You've been listening to the Rome International Film Festival podcast here on Rome Business Radio. I'm Roger Manus. Thank you so much for listening.